You get in a life pattern of projecting what you're not, of, of playing to an audience and trying to manipulate outcomes. What makes hypocrisy so deadly is that at a certain point, the hypocrite believes that he is what he pretends to be. Hypocrisy always leads to self-deception. Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Loretz. Well, the passage we'll be looking at today is Matthew chapter 23, and we'll learn that Jesus does not take kindly to hypocrisy. Hope you can stay with us for this important study. If you're new to our broadcast, Crawford has been in Christian ministry for over 50 years, serving as a pastor, missionary, seminary professor, speaker to pro athletes, and an author. His books include Make It Home Before Dark, Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, and Leadership as an Identity. Well, Crawford says today's passage marks an enough is enough point in Jesus' dealings with the scribes, Pharisees, and religious leaders who sought to find fault with him. Crawford will highlight seven denunciations spoken against these false and conniving leaders. Again, we're in Matthew chapter 23. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. As I was preparing for this message, I was wrestling with how do I give this message in a positive way? How do I have a real positive, warm spin around this message? And as soon as I said that, I got convicted. Don't spin anything. Uh, you got to give the text the way it's given. So I need to give you a warning today. We're walking into one of the most extraordinary texts of Scripture in terms of emotional fervor. And I want to set it up this way. There's no cotton in this passage. There's no cushion in this passage. This narrative was not given to be soft-pedaled or to be downplayed. Uh, this narrative arguably is the angriest um, record of any, any dialogue or narrative that we have of Jesus. Um, it's disingenuous to say that Jesus is not angry in Matthew 23. As you'll see in a few moments, as we walk this text, Jesus is full of righteous indignation, and he flat out blisters the religious leaders. There's no other way of looking at this passage. The anger that's driving Jesus in this text is that Jesus is passionately opposed to all things hypocrisy. All things hypocrisy. There is a disdain in the heart and life of Jesus for pretense. Now, I have to tell you, uh, before we get into the text itself, that all of us, in varying degrees, have been seduced into hypocrisy or pretense. And I got to tell you to pray for me. I, I um, just transparently, the nature of what I do can set me up for pretense. Anybody that has any degree of public gifts, you got to be you got to be diligent about caring for your heart. You got to be diligent about your personal time with the Lord, because at any given moment, you're a quarter inch away from being an orator who becomes an actor. It's easy to play with a crowd. It's easy to use certain skills that you know or whatever to get a response from people. 
And if you preach a lot, a lot, like I did this past week, a couple of times on Sunday, hop on a plane, was up in Richmond, Virginia, preached several times there, back to speak at Fellowship Institute, did something yesterday afternoon, and I'm up here this morning. If you're not careful, you can detach what you do from the reality of who you are. And you can start gigging and gaming. And that happens. It happens. It happens in your life, and it happens in my life. And so what I want to do with this text, I'm going to walk through these extraordinary seven woes. And I'm not going to back back away from it. I'm going to give it to you strong and straight the way it's given in the text. And then at the last part of the message, I want us to have, I'm going to raise six questions to examine our own hearts to see where we are with regard to hypocrisy in our own personal lives. Let me give this anchor statement up front. God does not want us to ever be anything other than who we are. God does not want us to be, he does not want you to be, does not want Crawford to be anything other than who we are. Now let me balance that by saying this. Certainly he wants us to become more Christ-like. Certainly he changes who we are. Certainly he transforms us substantively. But here's the point, listen to me. The way to change substantively into what God wants you to be is to embrace who you are. And there should never be any portrayal of something that you're not. That's a bad, bad thing. And yet we live in a culture and society that, that, that says image projection and image management and all of this is really substance. Fake it until you make it. it, only, it and the only thing that matters in life is what people think you are. Well, as we see in the scriptures, particularly in this text, that's, that's nauseatingly disgusting to God. Well, what is hypocrisy? We, we know what it is. I'll give me a brief definition. It's the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs which your behavior doesn't conform to. That's all it is. It's, now, hypocrisy, and I want to say, sometimes we get sloppy with definitions. Hypocrisy is not, uh, you know, just because you're not consistent about what you say you are, or consistent about preaching, and consistent about lining up with that, does not necessarily mean that you're a hypocrite. Perfection doesn't mean that you're non-hypocritical. You can be imperfect but not be a hypocrite. And all of us are there. There are imperfections in our lives. Now, now pretense is, is what hypocrisy is all about. It is the pretense. It is the pretending that you're something that you're not. If you own your inconsistencies, and we all have them, and you own your imperfections, that's not, that's not being hypocritical. That's being honest. That's being genuine. My goodness, there are many times I've preached up here, and you've heard me say this, that I'm struggling in this area, the very same thing that I'm trying to preach to you. That's not being hypocritical. I think some of us need to get off our high horses and stop calling people hypocrites and that kind of thing because there's some inconsistency. Now, if there's the denial of the inconsistency, now you have a hypocrite. It is the denial of that. It is the disingenuous playing with that. And I want to say this too up front, you know, what makes hypocrisy so deadly is this. You got to teach your kids this. You got to be careful. You get in a life pattern of projecting what you're not. You get in this life pattern of, of playing to an audience and trying to, trying, trying, trying to manipulate outcomes. 
What makes hypocrisy so deadly is that at a certain point, the hypocrite believes that he is what he pretends to be. And we're going to see this in this passage. Hypocrisy always, always, always leads to self-deception. The confliction of the soul. Now, here in this text, Matthew 23, Jesus is heartbroken over the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. In fact, there are seven woes. As you go through this, six of the seven woes uses the word hypocrite. And the one that doesn't use the word hypocrite in it, it is strongly implied. So you might have to say all seven of them deal directly with hypocrite. He, he, he prefaces the denunciation in all of these seven woes by this statement. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites. And then he says what he is, is against. Now, I have to tell you, verses 1 through 12, I consider this to be the introduction or the preamble to the seven woes. And he begins in verse 1 by, by, by addressing the crowds and his disciples. Jesus has had enough of the disingenuous pretense of these religious leaders. It's the only way of reading, reading Matthew 23. Jesus has had it. He's had it. It's not enough. Enough. And Jesus gives the preamble to these denunciations. And I would, I would like to point out two big things because it carries itself through these seven denunciations. Um, first of all, back up in verse, uh, verse 2. Now Jesus is speaking to the crowds and the disciples. Verse 2 says, the scribes and Pharisees sit at Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the words they do. Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. Even though they are hypocrites and even though they are disingenuous and even though, you know, they have no pure motives, separate who they are from what they're saying. Don't get close to them, but grab a hold of the truth. In fact, I've told my sons that about certain preachers that I know. So be careful of them. Yeah, go hear them. They can preach the birds out of the trees, but you don't want to get close to them because they ain't what they say they are. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying here. Now, here's the line. The last part of verse 3, he says, for they preach but do not practice. Don't be fooled. They're not doing the stuff that they're telling other people. So that's the first piece here. And the second part, or the second observation I want to make about this preamble is down in verse 11 and 12. He says, the greatest among you shall be your servant, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now, you got to take that in its broader context here. Jesus is actually making a denunciation to, the, to these religious leaders. What is he saying here? I, I think what he's saying here is that they're, they're not servants. You kidding me? They use their position of authority, and they use the truth that they know, and they use the platform that they have, and they use the position that they have, and they use all the knowledge that they have to manipulate and control you. They're not servants. They're not, they're, not, they're not serving you. They exalt themselves. Now, having said that, those two big blocks, Jesus steps into the most blistering, as I said, and direct series of denunciations you'll ever read in any of the narratives. And I, I, I need to, with integrity, preach the passage the way it's intended. So what I decided to do is that I, 
I've taken each one of these, these seven woes and turned them into seven statements. Seven statements, seven statements of denunciation that Jesus makes, and they're all anchored to this whole idea of his disdain of hypocrisy. And I think we can learn something from this. The first statement is this. He's, he's speaking directly to these religious leaders. Number one, in verse 13, he says, you yourselves are barriers to the kingdom. Listen to what he says here, verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Wow. Jesus says to them again, you yourselves, you, you, you are the barrier to the kingdom. How strange and odd this, should, this is. Their antagonism toward Jesus was causing many to turn away from him. At every single turn, you have lied on me, you've manipulated my message, you, you, you have presented the wrong stuff, you played power games, you have been a barrier to the kingdom itself. Their failure to accept Jesus as Messiah had placed a stumbling block in the path of their countrymen. You know, it's bad enough to keep yourself out of the kingdom, but worse when you stand in the way of others. When I read that, the Holy Spirit put a searchlight on my own heart and life, and I thought, oh, Lord, Lord, is there any, anything in my life that's stopping people from entering the kingdom? Any hypocrisy, any inconsistencies in my life that doesn't tell the truth about the gospel? So Jesus begins at the very beginning. He says, look, look, I'm going to tell you, you of all people should have been affirming the message of the kingdom and passionate about not doing or being anything that would be a stumbling block. But you yourselves have blocked people from entering the kingdom. The second woe, verse 15. Now, I have to say this, and I, I, and, I, and I don't have time to explain this, but you'll notice in many Bibles, if you're reading the English Standard Version, for example, verse 14 is not in your Bible. It's not a verse 14, it's just a verse 15. Let me give a brief explanation of that. Verse 14 was not found in the earliest manuscripts. Now, I will say this to you. If verse 14 is there, it's inconsequential. It doesn't change the reading or the flow at all. It doesn't change even the idea at all. Verse 15, the second role. The second role is that what Jesus is saying is that you recruit to hypocrisy. Listen to what he says here. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Now, I told you that Jesus is using some strong language. You make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. You see, they were converting people not to the God of Israel, but to their external restrictions and traditions, thus preventing the people from seeing the truth. How disgusting is that? You have so elevated your traditions and your, all these things and your restrictions and all this stuff. You're recruiting them to your process and not to God. You're recruiting them to your stuff and not to God. 
It's terrible. They were converting people to their hypocrisy. And I think there's a, there's a warning here, and that is that we, we, we must be authentic and pay close attention to our motives. Pay very close attention to our motives. You see, those we influence become who we are. I did not say those we influence will become what we say. Those we influence have a tendency becoming who we are. He said, you, you, you talk about recruiting people for the kingdom. Let's cut the nonsense. You're not recruiting the kingdom. You're recruiting them to yourself. You're contaminating them with all of this extra biblical nonsense that has nothing to do with God, has nothing to do with the kingdom, but has everything to do with your mastery over people. So Jesus condemns them because they were recruiting to their hypocrisy. The third role is found in verses 16 through 22. Jesus is saying here, you value the non-essential. Now, let, let, let me read this section. Pay, pay close attention to it. Verse 16 says, Woe to you, blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. What is he saying here? Well, as, again, I, I go back to the anchor summary statement. He's saying that you, you value the non-essential. You see, what, what Jesus is, is pointing out here is the trickery of the religious leaders. They were wrong by suggesting that the gold was greater than the temple and a gift was greater than the altar. See, the bottom line is this. They had forgotten that the temple sanctifies the gold and the altar sanctifies the gift. They had switched things around. They were so obsessed with monetary stuff and with gaming people and controlling them. They said, no, it's a goal that sanctifies the temple. No, 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 no. The goal has no meaning apart from the presence of God. It's not the gift that you place on the altar, but it is the mercy of God that the altar represents. So you've gotten things twisted in your head, and now you're focusing on non-essential stuff. You're valuing stuff that is not the core. It's not important. And hypocrisy always has that tendency to elevate the extremes, to elevate the outer boundaries of things, to make secondary and tertiary issues primary issues. It's not core. It's not essential. Yet here you're doing this all the time, and the reason why you're doing this is because you're manipulating people. You're playing power games with them. See, hypocrisy is the expression of pride. Hypocrisy says it all, it, it, the only thing that's most important is what you think about me. How valuable you think I am. What great, what weight you give to my performance. And you end up moving away from that which is really essential. 
Did you see the strong language? When, when you value the non-essential, you will have a progressive case of blindness. So he says in verse 16, he calls them blind guides. Verse 17, he calls them blind fools. Verse 19 calls them blind men. See, the point is that at a certain point, hypocrisy is always self-deception. If you're living in pretense, you're gaming people, you're not embracing the reality of your heart and life, and you're not moving out of tra toward transparency, it's not whether or not you're going to be blind, it's just a matter of when. Every person that I know who have gone down that road of hypocrisy, disingenuous Christian living, has deceived themselves. And that's what Jesus is saying here. The fourth woe is verses 23 through 24, and the statement is this, you choose performance over essence. You choose performance over essence. Verse 23 says, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you, you, you're choosing your performance. You know, uh, they were obsessed with and, uh, with, with and, 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 and majored on minors. Now, don't get me wrong, Jesus is not condemning fasting here. He said, well, you, you, you're, you're majoring on a minor, so much so that, that these details of the law has, has obscured the heart of God. You're so proud of how you perform. I've met a ton of Christians, and I have to say, there are a few of you in this, in this church who are too quick to boast and brag about your spiritual disciplines. Why do you want people to know how many, how many hours you pray? Why do you want people to know how many chapters of the Bible you read every day? Why do you want people to know how often you fast? Why do, why do you want people to know? The more I elevate what I do for Jesus, I, I can obscure the heart of Jesus. And that's what he means when he says that, that you neglect, you neglect justice, mercy, and faithfulness. That's what you ought to be leading with. Crawford Loritz, our speaker here on Living a Legacy. And Crawford is listing seven denunciations spoken to the Pharisees and religious leaders for their lack of true holiness and humility. And we'll continue our study on the danger of hypocrisy next week. Hope you can be right back here with us. Thanks for taking a moment to let us know how these weekly messages are impacting your walk with Christ. We received this email recently from Brianna, and she says, I just wanted to share how much the program has impacted my life and that of my daughter. We are devout listeners, and we're surrounded by worldliness and unethical behavior. It's a challenge, but listening to the program helps us feel like we're not alone in our pursuit of righteousness, and it gives us hope to keep following Christ. Well, thank you so much, Brianna. It's a great encouragement to us here at Living a Legacy, and thanks for taking the time to email. Now, how about you? Get in touch with us soon at livingalegacy at moody.edu, livingalegacy at moody.edu. 
Crawford's messages are available to listen to again on our website. Check out livingalegacy.org. Thanks for listening. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.